Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. Okay, guys, what is up? We are back. We are back in our human form. For now. <laughs> Very distinct from animal forms. Mm -hmm. And specifically octopuses or octopi. Or octopi, depending on your preference. I wonder if the guy is British and that is why. Uh, it said he was living, I think, currently in Sydney. I looked him up. Oh, so he might be Australian. This is in the he's at they, he's at the he he's Australian born and working at Sydney. Yes. So maybe that's how they say it there. Maybe maybe that's they could be. Australia has always been a good place for philosophy of mind. There's a great school there. Uh, Chalmers is Australian. That's right. And I think Clark Andy Clark is also Australian. That's right. I, I didn't make that connection. So it seems to be. Uh, a good the, the Australians there. are doing something. Yeah, <laughs> they're doing that, and they have a uh, Bluey. You know Bluey? Yeah, I know what Bluey is. It's a good show. It's a good show. You're you're sucked into it. We don't. So we don't actually have. We don't have the opportunity to watch it regularly because you have to have Disney Plus, and we don't pay for that. Okay. Uh, but whenever it's on at like my brother-in-law's house, or if we're staying somewhere and they have it, we're always like, oh, this is very wholesome. Show it's a very family show like Peppa, yeah, yeah. but a little it even a little bit more so in some way. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. I, I I've seen it, but I'm of course I'm out of the woods with those things. So, mm. Dead. but that, those, those shows were fun. The the kids show. All right, so we're talking about octopuses, octopi. I'm going back to the the dessert of the octopus, the octopi, which you know. One time, I'll tell you a random story. You know what a scallion pancake is? Yeah, yeah. It's like an, like an Asian dish. We got yeah. a scallion pancake in New Brunswick at this place because we love like Korean, Asian fusion type stuff. And uh, it had it said it had calamari in it. Hmm. And when we already possibly immoral, given our octopus discussion. Uh -huh. And I went through a phase of like, should I eat? Should I eat squid? And it didn't come fried. Mm. Which in America is weird. I know literally it doesn't mean fried, but so we just had this pancake with little tentacle suckers in it, and so you would just get this chewy thing, and it was very unenjoyable. I, I must say, believe that. I believe, but squids are different than, than octopuses, right? How are they different? We should have looked into that. Like, are are, are they kind of like they're they're different? Like a, they're very different animal. Like they're they are really very different animal. Yes. Well, they're both what cephalopods. I would assume so, but I think that the if you look at them, so look at the look at a picture of them, right? They really yeah. look different. Okay, yeah, this would be this would be a good really uh, little inquiry here. Oh yeah, so the squids have a triangular head, and they're like very and they have fins. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And I don't think they are nearly as smart as the octopuses. 
I wonder about the nervous system stuff. So that, to be continued. To be continued. Yeah, we need to do some. Maybe maybe we should research that. Maybe What's it like to be a squid? There, there is actually a, there is actually a, a book. I think I showed it to you. Which one? Well, uh, you know, what do calamari think about? What does squid think? Oh about? yes, yes, yes. You did show me that. So that is that's different. That's uh, true. But you know, again, we I don't know enough about the, the, the nervous system composition to say anything. That even the eyes are different. So I don't know. Um, but so we ended last episode by kind of seeing these related phenomenological issues that follow as a result of these, let's say, mm-hmm. biological uncoverings about how the brains work and how they, they might correlate to consciousness. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we focused a lot on this idea that an octopus may be like a community where there's some interaction between the parts but not total interaction and, and there isn't this centralized self or if there is it'd be much diminished compared to us and something that um godfrey smith also brought up in the um in the article um was about agency yes so he said uh, at some point quote i i've assumed up to this point that it makes sense to think that an octopus could have a feeling of agency a feeling that tracks the difference between what is controlling, what it is controlling, and what is merely happening. But perhaps this is so sophisticated a form of experience that it is beyond any non-human animal. So, it related to the self thing, and the, if there's different parts thing, which is like, how much control does this thing, or these things, feel like they have over itself and each other? And I think that's related um, to the discussion that we have had a, a few times, uh, and you know, in our discussion in the podcast um, about the fact that sometimes I've said that animals are just plugged in, right? Yes. Because I think the idea, well, one chance, one possibility is, and which I think is what what he's asking here, right? Is if honestly what we're saying doesn't make any sense for the animal, right? Because it's not, first of all, it's not self-aware the mm-hmm. way we are. But secondly, even if he was self-aware, there is like no difference between acting in a certain way and the feel that you get by acting in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pretty much they're doing things, but there's no such thing as, you know, I am speaking right now and yeah. I am touching the desk uh, and I'm conveying ideas and there's something that feels like doing these things for me mm-hmm. well maybe for the animal there's only the doing this thing and there's no they feel like doing this thing yeah so in other words it's possible that all of our discussions gave too much um, let's say we were too anthropocentric in our descriptions when we were like, imagine if you had arms in your mouth, blah, 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 because we might have taken for granted the fact that we have qualia, we believe, but octopi don't. Like maybe all these complex brain things are there, right? Fact. And if there was qualia behind it, it would be this crazy thing and there could be a phenomenology of what it's like to be an octopus. But that might be purely hypothetical because maybe there's nothing it's like to be an octopus and it's just a, it's a computer. 
It's just plugged into the world, like you say. And also to 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 make this understand, I don't know if more understandable or more confusing. <laughs> we'll see that. Um, I think that the last line of the paragraph that you quoted, right? It's interesting uh, because he's saying that maybe there's so much, there's not that much contrast, quote, between actions and other events, right? Mm-hmm. There's not that much contrast. So meaning that when we say like, well, the, the how can they reconcile in their brain the fact that the arm is doing something? Well, this doesn't go back to, there's no such thing as the arm doing something that is different than, I don't know, a rock falling for them. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's kind of, everything is part of the environment, and so are they. You know what I mean? Yeah, I wonder if it's, if if there's a vague awareness, if it's like almost being in a dream state where there's just like a floating camera mm-hmm. and it's just watching arms do stuff and it has no awareness, it can't make them do anything, it doesn't think too deeply about it, it's just watching this movie happen. Yeah. I don't know. And, you know, even if it is, you were saying before, like this, this sensation that we have of the fact that we are what's behind our eyes, right? If for them, there's no behind their eyes, right? If there's no camera yeah. at all, if they're just a, yeah. almost a feature of the world, that's it, right? They're just there. Mm. Oh, now I'm, okay, now I'm thinking of some brain issues that humans can have. Like, are you familiar with, I'm not that familiar with, but with, with um, ALS? I know what it is, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not an expert, so. So, to my understanding, they call it Lou Gehrig's disease, because mm-hmm. um, I think it was a baseball player that suffered from this, and like he was a fo- focal point. Mm-hmm. My understanding of what this is like mm-hmm. is they say it's being a, a prisoner inside your own body. Mm-hmm. They say you have some kind of vague awareness or maybe even keen awareness. I don't know, to be honest, but some kind of awareness, yet you can't make your body do things. Right? You can't control things. You're just watching things happen. And I wonder, again, if there is any awareness or visual or something similar in an octopus, is it almost like that? Is it like... You know, a human with ALS that still has reflexes, but just more complex, which is very kind of scary to think about. Absolutely. And so and that is one possibility, right? The other possibility is that they're truly like a... So I'm starting to think, and I've been thinking about this for a little while, if honestly, if there are... That, and I guess that's the, that's the question, right? Is it possible for non-human animals to be simply like a piece of furniture of the mm-hmm. world? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You wouldn't say that, you know, um, a bookshelf, right, mm-hmm. has any sort of consciousness or anything like this, any awareness, even if he moved. Like, you remember, I don't know, you remember those old, old toys that the move that you put on the table, right? Mm-hmm. And they move on the desk or on the table, and then they kind of sense the edge of the table and they turn back and go the other side, right? 
so they, they don't fall from it. There's like this mechanical thing. So they have no sensor, really. They have no electronic parts right. of them, but they're just uh, they're made in a way that you know whenever they they turn back. I don't think that nobody will say that they are. Uh, they have qualias, right? They uh, they don't have any any sort of consciousness of any sort. They don't feel anything. There's nothing to that feels like being them or anything. Uh, and even there, you know, there is no in their brain. That is not there. There is no difference between them and anything else, right? There's no difference because they, they are unable to make this difference. I mm. wonder if non-human animals are kind of like that. I wonder, too. And, and I, I keep trying to think. So there's the, the furniture way um, of looking at it. And then there's the, the ALS way of looking at it. And I'm wondering, is there one in between that and the next best thing I could think of is like for one plants so when you watch plants you don't think of it exactly like a bookshelf you know there's we believe there's something in there that makes it a little distinct and I wonder if there's that small element of because there's I I think there's two issues going on one is the awareness of consciousness happening somewhere distinguishing it from other objects in the world kind of like a um, proto theory of mind, mm-hmm. like knowing, okay, this arm is just a thing out in the world, but it's a little different from like the sand. Versus um, identifying directly with that thing. So I, I think those are two issues that are related, but ultimately separate. But if we latch onto some vague semblance of self, I don't know if that's the right word. Um, It'd almost be like, have you ever seen The Notebook? Yeah. Where, what did you say? I said, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say something about it. Where? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm sp- no comment. No comment. He's not commenting. I, I, I'm predicting you're going to say something about your wife. But um, <laughs> no, no. in the movie, right, it's ultimately, and I've only seen like 90% of it. Weirdly enough, I didn't see the end, but I've heard enough about it. So sorry to spoil things if people haven't seen it. But she's like hearing about these events and it's like it's her right it's her when she was younger like she is the one in the stories that's almost kind of a a combination of the two things we said where it seems like an other and it's like oh oh, but that's me right if you were able to realize it like there's maybe a this is me but it didn't feel like that it's like i'm watching events take place i don't know i don't know but i but i am i am concerned about that theory of mind thing because I even if it doesn't see the tentacle the other tentacle as self does it see it as something more like plant or animal than it does see it as like a rock or sand and it, and to be honest it seems to point in that direction right it seems to point to the fact that since there are the slim connections again the connections might not be big but they're there right the mm-hmm. connections might not be big, but there seems to be this accents that go from the tentacles to the central system. So it definitely seems to be that there is a certain, that it should be, there might be a little bit of awareness there. Maybe it's delayed. Maybe it's partial. But then again, most neurons are in the tentacles, so I don't know how that works, right? Mm. And I, I think that that points at a bigger problem, which is where does this sense of self or awareness is uh, 
right? Where does it arise, and how does it arise, right? Uh, it is quantitative, quantitative, more than qualitative. The, mm. the the threshold to to go from plant to us, right? You just need more more of a complexity of neurons, and you need more of them, less of them, or it's just completely a different quality of thing. It's a different substance, you know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, which is which is the issue, right? And this is because that's a dispute in its own right, right? About whether consciousness is a scale, which is like what someone like Hofstadter might say. And then when you get to a certain point in the scale, you, that strange loop happens, and then we get the sense of I, or whether there's a qualitative difference, and and something like uh, qualia does get introduced at a fixed point, and that results in some hard line type distinctions. Something I was realizing in, uh, while you were talking is I remember having an interest when I was younger in jellyfish. Yeah. And that seems related, mm-hmm. but jellyfish are even weirder. Okay. Because octopi has the decentralized nervous system, okay. right? But they also have blood. Okay. Apparently, they have hearts, because you have have to, right? So there's some kind of centralized uh, circulatory system, I guess, is what you would say, I believe. Mm -hmm. Whereas the jellyfish, it also has a decentralized nervous system, but it doesn't have blood. And so Hmm. it doesn't have a heart. Hmm. So a jellyfish is even more stripped down, and I wonder what that even means. Hmm. Well, that's even more of a Lydian thing, right? It's uh, it's because it seems like to have this might be wrong, but to have touch that seems like blood is involved in that. Is that stupid to say? Is there a reason why I'm guessing that, or is that just a feeling? No, no, I, I, no, it doesn't seem stupid to say. I think, I think it makes sense. It but might it, be an interesting research question now. What is it like to be a jellyfish? Oh God, um, I don't. But I think that if anything, right? If mm-hmm. anything, the this, this jellyfish, the octopus, the the squid, the the chimp, the bat, all those things, right? Mm-hmm. They seem to point out that the fact that. Mind stuff can be organized very differently. Mm. That there are different organizations for it, and that maybe depending on the organization, the result that you get, it's so different. Maybe pretty much Nagel is right. It's so different, and it's so. Uh, what can we say? unimaginable for the other side that really mm-hmm. we are just monads, right, that do not communicate with each other. It seems almost uh, a priori yep. because it's like, you know, imagine the guy living with the green lens. Imagine yes. him being like, what is it like yes. to not live in a green lens? That doesn't, that doesn't have meaning for him except yep. in a really empty negative sense that it's yeah like all he can know is not this but he doesn't know what that not this 
yeah. is like. And even if you put that guy in the being John Malkovich machine, where you are now seeing through a guy through a yellow lens, yeah. he wouldn't be seeing through the yellow lens. He'd be seeing the green lens through the yellow lens and now seeing blue, which is distinct from what the yellow lens person would see. So it seems like, you know, ex ante from the start, yeah. there is this um, unscalable gap yeah. in, when it comes to the what it is like of things. Uh, which is, again, maybe this is what we have to resign ourselves to. to oh, something was happening with my mic. Uh, um, I still hear you. You can still hear me good. Um, maybe we have to resign ourselves to the fact that we uh, that those things are not accessible to us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I feel that just because how can I say the, the fact that we keep on pushing those boundaries right the fact that we keep on trying to understand this uh, and that there are certain similitudes there that, that we can make um, that we can kind of predict and try to understand and have explanations of why things are in a specific way in those other situations well maybe that's a sign that maybe there is a window that we can look through, right? And it's just a matter of finding that window or making it a little bit bigger, but it is there. Mm. Uh, and, and as you were saying before, I don't know if this is just a feeling or if this is an actual possibility, um, but I think that this is at least partially what makes this kind of inquiry is interesting. Yeah, now I'm thinking from a methodological perspective. This seems to be a, a microcosm of the like empirical access in general. Okay. Right? Because this is precisely why empirical phenomena can only be reasoned about inductively except in a negative sense because you can never get that thing, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas with Ideas, you can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, for, in this, for the same reason, I can't ever absolutely say that the marker is going to fall on my front lawn every time I stand there and drop it. I may not be able to say this thing about some other biological systems um, resulting epiphenomena that we call a consciousness or whatever. So it may just be an empirical limitation. Mm-hmm. But I, I, like as I was saying this, I want to even say it, it seemingly is a conceptual limitation too because it's not only the empirical part that, that we can't do. It's like even in theory, yes. we, we can't access these things in principle. Which is what makes and it different, right? Th- yes, and that's what makes it frustrating, Greg, <laughs> because you, you want to get past that thing, but... There's a certain wall that, because of how your mind is structured, you just can't get past. I, I have a question for you, though. Also a methodological question. So we have been taking as obvious up until this point that conversations about consciousness can be spoken about 
in relation to conversations about biology in a kind of um, causal way. Mm -hmm. And if we were being the devil's advocate here, or even being someone who doesn't take this view, not just hypothetical, mm -hmm. is, it, is it already doomed from the start if we're asking questions about consciousness by trying to be like, is our biology similar? Um, I'm not saying I believe that. I'm no, just no, saying, no, know, what are our thoughts on this? Go no, no, go ahead. Finish. No, no, that's all. Just a question. Um, I think that if we limit ourselves to just this kind of analysis, if we need to look at the similar biology in order to make the connection and talk about consciousness in other beings, yes, I think that we are in trouble. But I think that definitely the similarity that we are able to identify biologically help us at least to clarify and to be able to um, to inquire in a specific way. Uh, meaning that you know, one of my favorite sentences, like biology here is an epistemological indicator more than anything else, right? Mm. So, someone in my class, Foucault, got brought up and I, I thought of you, but... <laughs> so I think that that is what it is, right? We can we follow that, that line of inquiry because right now, um, as up to now, it's given us results, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that is the way we should go. And actually, you know, considering that we, after our longest cognitive science being around now, like 70 years, 80 years, something like that, um, you know, at least since after, you know, behaviorism was the, the main thing, since after that, we as, with Chomsky, we start seeing this cognitive science approach. The fact that after 50, uh, so that was like in the 50s, so after 70 years almost, this is still not being resolved. We have no answers to that. Maybe that is an indication that we're looking in through the wrong lens. Yeah, I wonder if it's, we could say two things. One is, this lens is never going to give us X. Two is, well, that's the best we got. <laughs> like, we have to at least use it. Yeah, as of to now, yes. Maybe we, the moment we open another window, then we will be like, oh, oh, stupid we were. It's not this, it's that. Yeah. Right? It, like, it, you know, it's the, it's the Phineas Gage thing. Whoa, if we put a needle in your brain, you, you can't talk anymore. So clearly yeah. there's some kind of connection, right? Yeah. Um, at least in a functional sense. Yes. But I'm willing to say there's a connection yeah. to the qualitative. Because if it's not, then you do get into difficult areas where you would have to make claims regarding I, that becomes subs more substances that don't interact? I, I don't even know. Then you don't have a hook, right? Then there's something missing there. Yes, then you, then you don't have a hook. That's right. Um, I do have a question for you. I was thinking about before, I was thinking about this before when you were talking about, you know, how and... The, the, this wall that there might be that we cannot access stuff and I was thinking one of the things that people sometimes even intuitively uh, bring to the conversation is the following well 
we had these difficulties because those other species cannot talk to us. Hmm. If they could just tell us, we would understand what is it like to be them. Um, do you think that that's the case? Do you think that if there was an interspecies language, we would have a better understanding? I would say, I'd be willing to say we'd have a better understanding, but we still wouldn't have that much better of an understanding and certainly not a total understanding because I think, I think of two things. One, mm-hmm. even if there is a, some shared frame of reference, you have the, like the Gava guy issue. Mm-hmm. Who, who is that again? Uh, it's Quine. Quine, which is like they could point to things and we're like, okay, but what thing are you pointing to with your word? Because there's like all these different things involved. Like, is it the motion? Is it the color right, of the rabbit? Is it that it's food? Is it that it's something? So I think there's, an, there's a, an analogy to be made there that we couldn't pinpoint exactly what's happening. But also, um, it's possible that there's senses that the octopus has that we don't we can't conceive of because we're only it's like the flashlight thing you say like oh you you can't find your keys in the not flashlight you can only look where the light is so it's possible that yes they have these intermingled senses that resemble ours but maybe there's there's other senses that their biology has given rise to that we can't conceive of and similarly even the things that are like ours go beyond ours in such a way where there would have to be new words. Otherwise, we would be using the same word to refer to phenomena that's distinct enough mm-hmm. to cause some kind of confusion or like false understanding. I, that's kind of my initial reaction, mm-hmm. but I do think it would have to help a little bit. Um. I think it might help a little bit as well. Um, I will. I'm. I'm thinking agreement with most of the things that you're saying. I will add something to it. Right? We already have something like this. We already have uh, not a language, an interspecies language. I was but like, we what? Have, I'm just <laughs> hearing about this for the first time. Uh, but we have something like a language that's kind of a bridge between beings, which is our language, and still. I have no clue of what it is like to be you, right? <laughs> True. So while it helps, but it helps also by an simply by analogy, because you look more or less similar to me. I feel that you look like like me a little bit. So I assume that you function and that your internal states, right, that your mental states are kind of similar to the one that I have that I can produce and I build an entire you know epistemology if you want mm-hmm. based mm-hmm. on that and on the fact that you say to me from like very simple things that when we look at that thing uh it's red and I say red you say red too right uh so because my I guess my brain simplifies this up they say oh he has the same feelings this way. He perceives the same things, right? And you're it's able a good to, inference to, you're making. But again, is that really that case, right? It's because language has limitations. Actually, I wonder if 
in our and the card partially says that if language is not just a, actually a complication of things for mm. us that the true way should be if you could purely access somebody else's mind without language we will be able to understand things better because um, we are under the impression that this thing that we call language helps and mm. I don't you know I think it's like um, it probably helps bless, but I'm saying it doesn't give us access still yeah. I don't know what it's like to be you no, yeah, it's. A, I would say it's a blessing and a curse. Yeah, and think of, think of, I like to think of this thing the same way I think of people interacting with different cultures and different people. So there is the blessing of translation. We can translate things and concepts and stuff like that from one language to the other, but translations are not perfect. So sometimes we end up translating certain words in another language that design that, that they are pointing at, they're denotating specific things, and we just assimilate them to things that are similar to ours, but it's not the same. And there's always this gap between the two cultures. Or you go somewhere else and you don't truly know what's going on. You have no idea. You're assuming that they're doing this the same way you're doing them, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like going to a, a, a religious ritual and you assume like, oh, if you are, if you have a Christian background, you're like, oh, this is their version of blessing. This is their version of whatever, or the communion. Well, instead, possibly is not. Right? No, yeah, it's absolutely true. And when you translate things, you learn this, right? The fact that in German, there's two different words for object yeah. or for body or like how in Italian you have words, separate words for things where in English we have one word. And, and that that tells you something little but significant, which is like, oh, in this culture, there's two things. In our culture, there's one thing. Yeah. And so what language does is I was originally going to say it ontologizes but I think it's more accurate to say is it, it re-ontologizes because there's this uh, back and forth between the experience causing the language, but then the language causing something in the experience. And these things kind of have this, this, today's my using word out of context, dialectical relationships. Yeah. So I think that's absolutely true. Um, I think that it must work enough though sometimes because i was trying to think of another example what i came up with is talking to your dog yeah so if your dog like is on the couch and you're like hey eventually your dog quote-unquote learns to not go on the couch and if you do that noise or look like that that means get off the couch so the dog has a totally different you know, mental apparatus than we do. It's a simpler version in many respects, mm -hmm. but there must be some connection that's similar enough for them to get the meaning, and that's why we could kind of communicate with dogs or even with, with babies, right, before they develop yeah. to the point where we're developed. Um, and I think that's reasonable. And I think it we make that inference based on some... Ba uh, simple premises. One, which is, if something's happening to me, it's probably repeatable. Right? Like, phenomena are 
repeatable. And especially that's, that's reinforced when you see things that look similar to it with respect to one or more sensory faculty. You're like, okay, well, it's similar in this respect, so why would it not be similar in that respect? So there's yeah. this kind of like things that um, you sense as being similar actually are similar. Therefore, we could infer that things are repeatable um, out in the world. And therefore, we, things probably map, associate and map things in similar ways. Mm-hmm. Because why wouldn't they? Because even from an evolutionary standpoint, because like that works. Yeah. Like evolution does not change, you know, for different. Like it's the same conditions. Yeah. And if there's things with similar requirements out there, of course the same things are going to be advantageous, and you'll see a whole bunch of similarities. And this is why your veins look like trees, look like nebulas, because of course there's re- there's these repeating patterns. So I think it's. It's an induction, and we can never fully get there. And language solves things and creates new things, but it's a reasonable induction, and it's good enough sometimes. But it just leaves a little bit of mystery. It keeps us... Yeah. It's like a sexy thing, right? Because we keep wanting more. It keeps the curiosity alive. And I'm wondering if, at the end of the day, maybe the goal should be... Or maybe... Not the goal. The goal should be more, probably, but... What we're doomed to stop, maybe, is to to quote uh, Godfrey Smith um, out of context, really, again, is that we can only get to understand what is it like to have a specific kind of mind. Mm. Right, and what is it like exactly to be an octopus, right? What is it like to be, what is it like to be octopuses, right? Maybe we can kind of figure out how they, um, what kind of relationship they have. I, uh, I've been hmm. thinking for a little while now that basically philosophy of mind, whenever we talk about this, tries to answer three questions, uh, tries to, to shed light between three sorts of relationships, I should say. Okay, okay. Re- relationship number one, the relationship that there is between one's mind and one's body or body and mind in general. Uh, the relationship that there is between the mind and the world. Check. And the relationship that there is between minds. Mm. And I think that this, that, and try to answer the question, what, is, what does it mean to be a particular kind of mind, kind of answers those things. What kind of relationships do the octopus has between is central system and tentacles, right? That's a kind of a relationship between body and mind, if you want, right? How does that work, right? Where is the self? Is there an octopus? That is the first case. Like the second case, the relationship between the octopus and the environment. Again, tentacles again. How does they how is, does this connection happen, right? Mm-hmm. How does that work? Are the tentacles part of the mind or part of the environment? And also, how do the tentacles get in contact since they are, again, tasting things and tactile things? How do they interpret the world outside? How does that work? And finally, what is the relationship between mind and mind? Uh, is, it, is it our mind and the, and the octopus mind the same? 
are the octopi's among themselves can they relate to each other right is there a difference there are they connected they not connected are they isolated beings are they not um, which i think again are all questions that can be answered just by understanding not what is likes to be an octopus but what kind of mind is the one of the octopus and all three of those things i think you said uh interact they do they have this triangular relationship you have to right because like in order to understand a mind to mind it requires you making drawing all these analogs where you're like well what is the relationship between my mind and my body and my environment and then how does this environment relate with that body and based on that how might that body then interact with that mind and what might it be like for that mind to interact with that environment so it is this kind of like mm-hmm. uh interwoven necessarily interwoven process i guess and then we get to the you know to a larger question if we can understand that there are different kinds of mind for example right can they compare them can we compare them to each other and can there be a relationship there and how is it possible you know what does that really mean is mm. it again i think it's this is a pretty classic distinction in, in philosophy of mind or maybe human beings kind of minds are different from the octopus kind of mind well, because ours is, our mind is shaped by language, while the octopus mind is not shaped by language, right? Mm-hmm. And that makes it quantitatively, but also qualitatively different. And that leads to all the, and that changes all those connections that we have made. Maybe there's other things there, and maybe the octopus mind is different from the squid mind for some other reasons, uh, which is still fascinating. It's still a lot. It's still a big ask when it comes to learning stuff. Mm. But maybe it's easier than understanding what it's like to be an octopus. Maybe. And then now, you know, the thing I'm thinking, I feel like, puts us in classical ancient Greek territory. I'm being Socrates now, which is, well, if, if we say there's different types of minds, not just different scales of mind, but different types of minds, then this would possibly presuppose and force us to think about the fact that there must be one underlying form of mind in general. And if that's the case, what What is is that? What is that common denominator? What, What is this fundamental aspect that they all share despite being different, let's say, modes or attributes of that thing. Uh, and, you know, ancient philosopher for ancient philosopher, maybe the answer is Aristotle. Life is the common denominator. Everything that's alive has that. Well, then, if life is the common denominator, then we wind up at this position, for you guys who are listening, called panpsychism. Yeah. Well, maybe. Actually, because panpsychism means everything has some consciousness within it. And then you have pan... Yeah, even the desk. even Yeah, even the rock. But then you have pan-proto-psychism, which is the more, I think, reasonable one, which is that not everything has it, but it has the... Everything has to have the ingredients for it because you can't, like, combine Mm -hmm. a bunch of zeros and make a one. So you can't combine a bunch of um, non-conscious individual parts... And then arise with an individual, so they claim. Mm-hmm. So that's one. That's one route, or 
maybe you're not a panpsychist or panprotopsychist, and you think that life and consciousness actually should be conflated. Yeah, a little bit. And that's, bit. I think, what Aristotle's kind of thinking. Hmm. And of course, there are different forms of life, so there are different forms of consciousness, different mm-hmm. minds there. The plant is different from the animal, and the human is different from the animal, from the non-human animal, right? Well, the mm. problem then becomes how do we make these distinctions? Where do we draw the lines? There's still a bunch of problems with that too. Yeah, because uh, then we have to ask, like he does, about the soul. Exactly, and because this trouble. happens in Dianima, right? Because he's like, oh, the soul is the animating force behind all life and because there's different lives they have different souls so (laughs) then it just puts us in another pickle because (laughs) after finding out what mind is then we're like oh it's soul then what is soul and maybe we stop at aristotle and say it's just the thing that animates things but i don't know i don't know it's i mean coming into this uh you know reading the the article, I was very excited about, you know, going into this and getting into all this thing, but I would never thought that we were going to get to an answer of this thing, of course. Mm. Um, so, and uh, and he doesn't either, right? Right. He just, what's his conclusion here? Well, uh, we sh- materialism is not necessarily a good idea because explanatory materialism, because he gets us nowhere, but also the idea of the mystery that Nagel gives us is also not a good idea. Um, uh, However, the first person, the first person, and the third person d- divide is real. It's mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We cannot really um, avoid to say that that is an explanatory gap in there. Yet, mm. it's worth exploring. Is right. <laughs> That's and th- this is a perfect uh, archetype of philosophy in general. It is. It is. Where it's like you have this this um, curiosity, right? You notice something, and you go, hmm. And you come up with this really difficult question, and in order to answer that question, you have to consider all these different logical paths and eliminate certain things and integrate other things. And maybe you get to a point where you're like, I, I don't know. But the th- <laughs> and you get pissed off, right? <laughs> but the, the thing I always tell my students is like, that doesn't mean there's no answer. Yep. It just means you have to keep thinking about it. Like you don't just I always make this joke. It's not like we just ask questions and go, "Well, I don't know." And throw your hands up in the air and then we're like, "That's it. End of conversation." The point is like you're still getting closer to what the truth is. E- even if you're not there, even if you never get completely there, you're still eliminating definitively or at least more definitively what's not true. So you are getting somewhere. You're just—it's just happening in slow motion, and that's that's worthwhile. I think I think that that this gap that there is between understanding that the fact that we don't see an answer right now doesn't mean that there is no answer has to be one of the most difficult things to understand for non-philosophers in general, and definitely for our students. It is so hard so hard to make them understand that difficult question of which I don't see an answer doesn't mean no answer mm-hmm. or does not mean that every answer will do. <laughs> that, I was just going to say that second one. So, yes. It's, they, they just don't. It's really hard, really, really hard to understand. And I get it because we are 
and we're straying from from the topic here, but we, when I've said this millions of times, we live in an in an era that you want an answer, you find it. So the moment this doesn't happen for some reason, the default has got to be then there is no answer because otherwise by now we would have figured it out. Well, cause, yeah, because I would have had it by now, and if I don't see it, and that's the thing, like we, and I think we are so, which is so weird. We are so, how can we say, um, it's not egotistic, but we, we have like, as a species, we have got so full of ourselves that we're now starting to think that, oh, if there was an answer, we would have figured it out by now. If not, then there is no reason. Right, like, like we're the most perfect things and we have the most total Control knowledge. and all knowledge So of obviously... If I or we, or we as a whole don't have this thing, then it must not be real. Yeah, and it's the same attitude that, hey, it is impossible that I got this wrong. You know, <laughs> if I didn't, if I did this wrong, or if he did, I didn't submit this on time, there must be a reason outside of my control that made that happen. Yeah. You or, must not get it. <laughs> exactly. Maybe you don't care, or maybe you didn't do this, or maybe you didn't do that. It's never. We never own the fact that, hey, it is possible that we don't know stuff. There's still stuff that can be known, but that we don't know. It is possible mm-hmm. that we are cognitively blind at this point towards something and that we can remove this blind. We can get an operation and remove this cataract and get to see these things by keep on inquiring. But no, yeah. but that will deflate our ego i guess so we're, good. we're just i always say it's like we're not just messing with you yes, I, I, that's like <laughs> we're not the, the thousands of years of of uh passionate discourse and tradition <laughs> and tradition are not just to be like you know what you got me i was just trying to trick you it's all a joke it's funny we um in my office i so i had from years back like from when I first started teaching, you know, I had dreams of like having my own office. I'm like, what I would do. And whenever I would see something cool, like uh, in the comics, in the newspaper, or just in general, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to save that. So I never told you this. I, I kept over the years like a folder. It's, right, it's actually right next to me because I was going through it. With all this stuff that I was like, one day, I'm going to put this in my office. And now that I have it, I'm like, oh, my God, I got to look at this thing. And one of the things that I hung, it's this comic from the Peanuts. And I think it, the main character in it is, is it Lucy? No, not Lucy. It's, um, ah, what's, why can't I think of it? Charlie Brown's little sister. The one who has a crush on Linus. Oh, I can't, anyway, it's her. Is it Matilda? Little, no, it's not Matilda. It's totally, yeah, totally different thing. It's the little blonde girl. Yeah. Kick myself, um, but anyway, she is Sally. Sally, Sally. Brown. I think it's her. She gets a paperback, and she gets like I don't know an F or something. She's like, "How could you have given me an F? It must be because you think I'm ugly. Like, what? How are you even grading this? Like, are you grading it against the measure of blah blah blah? Well, how are you able to know what's right?" Or are you grading it against the measure of how useful it will be? Well, who's to say what will happen? And she's just all this discontent, like rationalizing why you must have given this person uh, a bad grade. It, and, it, and, you know, it must be because I'm ugly, right? And at the end, 
and I might be conflating two Peanuts comics, but someone picks up the paper and they're like, you know you hand in a blank piece of paper, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like this this kind of this kind of reminds yeah. me of that. Yeah, that's that's what it is. And you know, right now and every beginning of the semester is like this. I'm going through this in my ethics class. The in person ethics class, I have like a group sitting in the back of students, they're like, Oh, it's trying to get us. I'm like, No, this is not what it is. That's it. It's the gotcha. Everything and that's sad because that means if you think that's what we're trying to do. That's because you think that's the common and usual way to navigate in the world. It's yeah. just a series of gotchas, which is scary. Yeah, I had like a student tell me, Professor, could you stop messing with us? I'm like, I'm not messing with you. I'm just trying to show you because, I, you know, I always do this thing that, you know, I explain something. We reason about this together and then we get to a point and I'm like, well, you know that by doing this, you also have to accept this, this and this, right? Because this is the way this works. And they're like, no, 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 I didn't say that. I'm like, but you did. <laughs> And I'm not trying to, sh- to, do, to get you. I'm just trying to explain to you that this is what it is. Yeah. And, like, I had my, my first of the semester in the middle of what we're we doing. We we're doing the four causes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, and I'm making this very practical. I'm going out of my way to not only talk about the theory, but to also talk about in a practical sense and how this relates to, like, you mm-hmm. know, everything. And I get the, I just got a question. Why are we learning this? <laughs> And I was like, well, it's a good question. And oh, if you're serious, God. we could talk about that. And, uh, you know, we had a, I tried to be like, listen, it's you want to understand things and you want to communicate things to people. And this is how, th- and, and I know maybe it's hard to see the connection now, but this is kind of the fundamental steps to doing any of that. And I, again, I feel like the, the octopus article is a perfect analog of that. Like, wait, what? Why are you guys talking about yep. octopi? And so maybe, you know, uh, I'll, I'll integrate this into some of my classes and um, report back. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how it goes. But I, but I think at the end of the day, this, this was your idea to do this article. I, uh, I liked it. Yeah, I thought good. I learned a lot in it. And it made me question a lot of things and see a lot of connections that were like, what would you say, fertile ground for exploration. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even in, in terms of like the methodological and, and uh, pedagogical stuff, there mm-hmm. was there was a lot there. So I enjoyed this. Yeah, and it, it was enjoyable when I when I you know stumble onto it. I was like, oh, we need to I need to send Anthony. And we need to talk about this because it seems cool. One thing that I wanted to do, we didn't get to it, and it doesn't matter. Was kind of, I think we partially did it, like showing out to use an article to kind of get to your own ideas, your own conclusions, right? And your, yeah. uh, to analyze that. We did this implicitly. It's there, um, but not as explicitly as I would, would have wanted to do it. But, you know, but be you can take the, if you're listening, you could kind of take the meta step to be like, well, let me pay attention to the kinds of questions they asked in response to certain lines. Like what kind of things were highlighted? What kind of connections did they see? Mm-hmm. What, what, what did they see? as following from these points and like if you can let's say mark those moves like if you're john madden right and you're like circling this and drawing Mm -hmm. lines you kind of see oh this is how philosophical conversation works this is how the whole discipline works and hopefully if you're able to map that out if not explicitly then even just you know kind of um, without thinking about it while listening then this is what you could do right this is what you should do because this is this is what it's all about 
Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, maybe, I don't know if we can do that, but maybe we could put the link for the article in the description of the episode. The, I'll make a little I'll make a little note to do that here. Because if we if we can do that, you guys maybe you can go and read it yourself. It's a it's a short read, relatively short read, and it's fun to read it by itself. Absolutely. And it's free. No, Get we're it? not making you pay exactly. for Exactly. It's free, it's free. Alrighty. Well, I think that's it for today, isn't it? I think that's it. Uh sorry about the delay, but hopefully we were um pedantic enough to make up for the <laughs> the missed week. I think we got back yeah. into it with a bang so yeah and we'll see you in a couple of weeks all right uh, with a new topic all right we'll see you guys see you bye mm-hmm.